Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Hey, if you have your Bibles, if you want to go ahead and turn to Ruth chapter 2. We're going through the book of Ruth uh, next, uh, well, we started last week and we'll be going through that for a couple couple weeks. So Ruth chapter 2. And uh, <clears throat> if, uh, you know, I know some of you weren't here last week and I don't know how familiar you are with the, the book of Ruth, but I want to share, just kind of give us a little bit of a background um, into what we talked about last week in chapter one. So in chapter one, the first thing that we, we learned is that there was a famine in Israel. And uh, as we talked about last week, there shouldn't have been a famine in Israel because God had told the children of Israel, if you obey my voice, if you follow me, you'll be a loner nation, you'll be blessed, you'll, you'll always have crops and water, and you'll, you'll just be a blessed people. Well, they disobeyed the Lord, and as a result, there's famine in the land. And, and then the story begins with a guy uh, in Bethlehem of Judah. His name was uh, Elimelech. And Elimelech, because of the uh, uh, because of the famine, decided to move his family to Moab, and uh, it wasn't just like a temporary thing. It says he went to dwell, so he went to go to live. He's basically relocating to Moab, and so he leaves Bethlehem with his wife Naomi and their two sons. And while he's in Moab with his family, Elimelech um, dies, and uh, so then. Uh, his two sons, they grow up, and they end up marrying two Moabite women. And uh, for 10 years, I suppose, things are kind of going well. But after 10 years, the two boys also die. And, uh, and so, <clears throat> um, so at this point, Naomi... So I don't know, at least 10 years, maybe uh, probably longer, because however long they lived before Elimelech died there in Moab. So at one point, Naomi hears, hey, the Lord has visited his people once more. There's, there's bread in Bethlehem, the house of bread. There's grain, there's crops there. Um, God in his mercy has allowed them, visited them with bread. And so Naomi makes the decision to head back to Bethlehem. And her two daughters-in-law, one was the name of Orpah and the other is the name of Ruth, go back with them. You know, the thing with Naomi is I don't believe it was God's will for them to go to leave Bethlehem to go to Moab. I think that was just a decision that Elimelech made. I'm sure he counts, you know, he talked with his wife about it, but I don't think that was God's will for them to go. Um, you see all these things that happen and stuff. It's like, you know, were they in the Lord's will or not? Well, I, you know, I, I'm saying I don't think they were, but I'm not God, obviously. But, you know, at some point, Naomi goes, you know what? We're, I'm suffering, I'm miserable here, but I'd rather go back to the land of Israel. And it's a place where they should have never left in the first place. And so it's always, even no matter what's going on in your life, it's always a good thing to go back to the Lord. It's always a good thing. And so it was a good decision to go back. And so she takes her two daughters-in-law with her. Um, they accompany her. Now, the whole time that Naomi's going, these are younger you know, they, they're obviously they're widows, but they're young widows. They have an opportunity to, to remarry and, you know, and have children because they didn't have any children. And so Naomi, as the way they're going, as they're walking, she's like, man, go back. You have a life back there. 
go back. You know, you're you're free to go. And Orpa decides to go. No, you know, not no condemnation on her. She just decides to go back. But Ruth doesn't she's not going to be dissuaded she is going to cling to Naomi and so they go to um, back to Bethlehem and when they arrive in Bethlehem uh, the women it says there they said is this Naomi and you know sometimes when you go through traumas and you go through difficult it shows I mean you just maybe she's got some grayish hair you know some wrinkles just from weeping over the, the situation in her life anyways they're like is this Naomi and she says man don't call me Naomi and Naomi the, the name means pleasant and she says don't call me Naomi call me Mara and Mara means bitter and so she's but she's come back to the Lord. So, I mean, she's come back to Judah, which is a good, a good thing. Last week, chapter 1, the focus was on Naomi. This week in chapter 2, the focus is going to be on Ruth. Now, I know some of you women have, have studied, because I was talking to my wife. They, she's, done, she's gone through the book of Ruth several times. And, you know, on the surface, Ruth is a beautiful love story. If you love love stories, man, this is this is this will beat Hallmark. Um, it's it's a it's a beautiful love story, and, and there's things that we can learn from that just on the surface. But beneath the surface, there's a picture that's being painted by the Holy Spirit. Naomi is a picture of Israel. Naomi's a picture of Israel. Ruth is a picture of the Gentile bride of Christ, and Boaz is a picture of Jesus Christ himself. And we'll, we'll kind of, as we go through that, we'll explain as we go through, especially when we get to the prophetic implications. And I'm not really going to touch on the prophetic implications of the book of Ruth until we get through the book of Ruth. Then we're going to back up and we're going we're to take the book as a whole and just look at the, the, the prophetic uh, aspect of it. So if I just touch on it lightly, you just understand you got to come back in a couple weeks or a week or two, something like that. Anyways. So chapter one focused on Naomi. The key events of chapter one took place on a path, on the path back to Bethlehem. The key events of chapter two are going to take place in a field. And for you and I today, what can we glean? No pun intended, but what can we glean from our study today? Well, what we can glean from it is character studies. We're going to look at character qualities of the, of the people that are mentioned in chapter 2. So that's my prayer. So beginning with verse 1, we're going to be introduced to the Lord of the field. Verse 1 says, There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, his name was Boaz. So the first thing we learn about him was that he's a relative. He's a kinsman. Uh, his role as a goel, uh, a kinsman redeemer, is going to come into play big time in chapters 3 and 4. So we're not going to really deal with that in, in too, too much uh, depth this morning. But he's a relative. He's a, he's a kinsman redeemer. We also find out that he's a man of great wealth. He's a rich guy. Well, 
The new, or excuse me, that's the New King James. The King James Version says he's a mighty man of wealth. So he's not just a rich landowner. He's a man of great wealth and riches. And the description in the Hebrew, what it implies, is that he's got great power, he's got great authority, he's got great virtue and honor. You know, you'd almost, if, if he was leave, living in the days of, you know, the, the, the knights of the round table, man, he'd be one of the knights. He'd be Sir Boaz. I mean, that's just, that's who he is. He's just a, he's, he's a powerful man of virtue, value, uh, valor, excuse me, and strength. And if you think about it, I mentioned briefly that uh, Israel was supposed to be a blessed nation, but they had disobeyed against the Lord God. And during the time of the judges, and that's when the book of Ruth actually takes place, during the time of the judges, um, God, because of their sin, would allow the foreign nations around to come in and harass the Israelites, to harass the Hebrew people. So the Midianites would come in, they'd harass them, the Philistines. Um, and, and so there'd be a time and they would be, they'd be, uh, basically, you know, taken over, so to speak, by their, by marauding bands of, of the enemy. And then God would have mercy on them and he'd raise up a judge and he would be a deliverer of the children of Israel. Well, time and time again, these marauding bands of whatever nation you want to pick, they would come in and they would, they would do battle with the Israelites. Well, it's ver quite possible that Moaz, or Boaz, excuse me, you know, he says he was a mighty man, and it really does refer to kind of a military aspect. It could quite possibly be that he was a military defender of Bethlehem. He was maybe like a general, you know, he led the forces to defend the city of Bethlehem against marauding bands of Philistines or whatever. Um, it's quite possible. And so we find out that his name was Boaz, and his name means strength. Now, his great-great-grandson, by the name of Solomon, builds a temple. You guys know that story. He builds a temple. Well, two of the pillars that are in the temple, he names them Boaz, strength. The other two are named, named Jacob, which means established. And so uh, this man, Boaz, he had an impact on his great-great-grandson, Solomon. We also find out that he was a relative of Naomi's uh, husband of the family of Elimelech. Um, and, you know, back in the book of Judges, and I mentioned this last week, that whole time period that where Ruth takes place, so the story of Ruth, it says that there's another generation that arose after Joshua and the people that came in from uh, the wilderness, they came into the promised land. That generation had died, all of them had died, and so another generation rose up that didn't know the Lord. They didn't know, they didn't see his miracles, they didn't have, they didn't have quite that same relationship that their, for, or that their parents and grandparents had. And of course, it also says that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And, and so they weren't really following the word of God. They were doing whatever they wanted to do, basically. And as a result, we mentioned earlier, there was a famine in the land. Well, Boaz stands out in stark contrast to his relative Elimelech. Things got tough in Bethlehem. And what did Elimelech do? Man, I'm out of here. I'm going. I, I'm going to where I know there's some food. I know there's some crops and stuff. And, you know, if I was in his boots, I might have done the same thing. I, I, I can't judge him for that. But while Elimelech fled, his relative, Boaz, he stuck it out. He stayed. And 
during the middle of famine, during the middle of trying time, he stayed in Bethlehem, even during the famine. Now, Elimelech didn't prosper. He ends up dying, and then both of his sons die. But Boaz not only weathered the storm, weathered the, uh, the, uh, the hard times of famine and whatever was going on, but from all accounts here, it looks like he prospered as well. And so we get to, so we've kind of been introduced to Boaz, the Lord of the field. And now in verse 2, we're going to talk about Ruth. Ruth out in the field. She's going to go work in the field. Look at verse 2. So Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I might find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. I was thinking about that. How did she know? I mean, she's from Moab. How did she know about the whole concept of gleaning? And I'm sure that it's Naomi had taught her. Maybe it was as they're walking back to, to Bethlehem, Naomi's like, you know, the land of Israel, God has provided a way for people like you and I. We're, we don't have any income. We're poor. You know, we're, 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 we're weak. We're defenseless. And God has provided a way back in Israel. And so maybe he was, you know, she's talking about it as they're going. Or maybe once they're there, uh, you know, Ruth is like, Naomi, how are we going to eat? And then Naomi says, well, you know what? God has provided a way. That was a welfare system for, for uh, the Hebrews. What was gleaning? Well, this is what the law stated. Leviticus 23, verse 22. This is God's command to the landowners. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field. When you reap, excuse me, uh, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field when you reap, nor shall you gather any gleaning from your harvest. You shall uh, leave them for the poor and for the stranger. I am the Lord God. That's the basic command. Hey, don't, don't completely clean out your land, Allow, leave some behind for the poor and for the strangers. Um, it's elaborated even more in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy, the Lord God tells the Israelites, the Hebrews, says if, 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 you're, if you're harvesting and you're, you're harvesting the sheaves of wheat and you go, oh man, I forgot about that whole pile over there. It's like, and I'm paraphrasing, God doesn't say, oh man, or maybe he does, I don't know. Um, Dude, <laughs> just leave it. Don't go back and get it. Leave it for those that are coming behind, the gleaners, the poor, the people that are destitute. If you're harvesting your olive trees, he says, don't beat your trees more than once. Now, you don't think about beating trees. I grew up in California, and I grew up on the, on the coast, on the west coast. But in the Central Valley, man, there's all these orchards of uh, almond trees. They call them, the farmers call them almonds. But anyways, almond trees and uh, walnut trees and stuff. And they have these machines. They go up, and they actually shake the tree. And the almonds, the ripe nuts, fall to the ground. And then they, then they that's how they harvest them, at least in today's day. In Hebrew days, I guess like olive trees, they would just hit it with a stick and shake the branches and whatever would drop. And, and the Lord says, hey, okay, go ahead and do that. Harvest your tree, but don't go back and try to get every single olive off the tree. Leave some for the poor and for the destitute. Same thing for your vineyards. Now for the field owners, what this did was it encouraged charity. 
It, it, it discouraged greed. It was to instill in them, hey, you know what? Think about someone else. Don't just think about yourself. There's poor people around. You know, share with the wealth of what you have. It was, it was to discourage selfishness, to di discourage greed, and to encourage charity. For the poor... Man, it was a way that God would provide. Again, it was a welfare system for them. But unlike our welfare system, this provided dignity for the people because they could go and they could work for what they got. It wasn't a free handout. They just they would they they would actually work. But man, the satisfaction of they could work and they could they could they could get their provision. And that's what the Lord had provided for Israel. Well, Ruth was willing to go to work to support herself in Naomi. And I love that next verse. It says, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. I, I don't know about you, but I love reading in scriptures where it says, and it happened. You know, it was like, it just, oh, it's just a, what a circumstantial, what a lucky thing that happened. Um, listen. It happened one night that a king of Persia couldn't sleep. And you know what the, the, the end result of that sleepless night was? Man, a whole nation, the Jewish nation, was saved from complete genocide. It just happened one night. The guy couldn't sleep. The king couldn't sleep. It happened one day that an Egyptian butler... He had been in prison, and he, and he remembered, man, I had this dream, and man, it was a wild dream, but I remember there was this Hebrew slave, and he interpreted it for me. And as a result of just happening to remember that, that Hebrew prisoner became the prime minister of Egypt. I don't know, some of you know this, some of you, probably a lot of you don't, and I, I, didn't, I didn't ask for permission to share this, but it happened one day in World War II that clouds prevented the United States military from dropping the atomic bomb on their targeted city. It was, it was a cloudy day. And as a result, Takeyuki is here with us this morning. You know, there are no circumstances, there are no, you know, uh, coincidences, I should say. There are no coincidences in God's economy. It says this in Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. God's in control. He's in control. Well, we're moving on here. Verse 4, Boaz now is going to visit his field. Look at verse 4. Now, Boaz, or now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Man, there's a character that's coming out of this man, Boaz. He's a wealthy landowner, but he's also personally engaged with his workers. Here's one of the character qualities that I want to focus on this morning. Morning, He's not distant from others. Man, he's engaged. He's engaged with his workers. And so he says here to them, the Lord be with you. Man, notice that in the Bible, this is the very first words that come out of Boaz's mouth. That's the first recorded scriptures. The Lord be with you. What, a, what an awesome thing. The first words that we read is what Boaz speaks, a blessing upon the Lord. Why? Because Boaz brought the Lord into everything that he did. Everything in his daily conversation, he's blessing the Lord. He's, he's bringing up the Lord, and uh, he's blessing his workers. And uh, another character quality, the Lord 
is not only in his heart, but he's on his lips. You know, the Bible says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You talk to someone, whatever they're into, whatever they really, really love, that's all they talk about. If you find someone that's always talking about themselves, well, you gotta get a clue what they really, really love, right? Where they really, really love themselves. If they really, really, really love the Lord, they'll talk about him. And this is what Boaz does. We see this characteristic in Boaz. And here's another thing about this. His workers are like, yeah, what's good about today? You know, his workers, they respond back. They like him. He's a good boss. He's, a, he's an honest, decent man. And they respond, man, the Lord bless you, Boaz. So as he's blessing his workers, he happens to notice Ruth in the field. Verse 5. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, whose woman is this? Now that sounds kind of like chauvinistic. I don't know about, about you, but whose woman, man? <laughs> Listen, in that culture, in that culture, not in this culture, but in that culture, it was expected that a, a woman would have a man in her life, not necessarily a husband, it could be a brother or a father, but somebody that provided a covering, that provided a, a, a provision for her, somebody that she was associated with to take care of her in that culture. And I think that's all that Boaz is saying. Well, whose woman is this? It might have been, I heard one pastor say, it's like, you know, check out that woman. You know, <laughs> I don't know. I don't think that's, anyways. You know, I'll be honest with you. There's, there's no indication that Boaz is like, whoa, what a babe. You know, it's, it's not that. It's just like, who is this person? But it's interesting. Boaz, and he's a wealthy landowner. He's a mighty guy. I mean, he could, could, have, been a, could have been a general in the Bethlehem, you know, reserve or whatever um, he's interested in this poor penniless helpless stranger she's a Moabite they were despised the Moabites were despised by the Hebrews and they despised the Hebrews as well this helpless person he's interested in her you know, remember I mentioned earlier that that Ruth is the picture of the bride of Christ you think about us man we're we're helpless I know I am I'm hopeless <laughs> helpless Man, I, I, can't, I can't help myself to save my life. You know, I, I'm, I'm despised. I'm weak. What an amazing thing, though. We have a God that loves us. We're that poor, penniless, despised, weak, helpless stranger. And the Bible says this, Romans 5, 6, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Now, we couldn't do anything about our salvation. Jesus Christ did it all for us. Verse 8 of Romans chapter 5, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that we were, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I talk about amazing grace. Well, verse 6, So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, it is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. I don't know if you're kind of picturing what these guys are saying, what this servant in charge of the reapers is, is what's his take on her? Man, she's not lazy. She's a hard worker. 
Proverbs 13, verse 4, the soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. She's not lazy at all. And there's no indication from scriptures that she was looking, you know, or waiting for a husband. It's not like, you know, I'm going to go out to the field so some guys can see me, you know, and there's some eligible bachelors. There was no indication in scriptures that that was her desire. She could very well have been hoping and longing to remarry. I mean, she was a widow. She could be, I mean, she didn't have any children. It could have been, man, Lord, please bless me with a, bless me with a husband and with a child. That could have been, I, I, I don't doubt that she may have prayed that someday she'd have children, that someday she'd remarry. But you know what she's doing? Right now she's doing the right thing, the spiritual thing. There was a need to be met. She was able to meet that need, and that's what she's doing. She's out there working to provide for her and Naomi. And here's a character quality that I think jumps out at us. She's focused not on what she didn't have, but on what is right there in front of her, and that's a need. And she's, she's just going to meet a need. That's what her focus was. Her focus was on serving others. You know what Jesus said? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. You know, you don't, she's, just, she's out there just ministering. She's working. She's, she's providing for herself and Naomi. But God directed her to the field of Boaz. And God caused Boaz to notice her. And I want to draw your attention, too, to verse 7. And I think this is another character quality that jumps out. He says, she came and has continued. She, and what's the character quality? The character quality is perseverance. Perseverance. You know, it's one thing to come. It's another thing to continue. It's one thing to obtain grace and salvation by faith. Man, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, praise the Lord. Praise God. But it's an holy, another thing to continue to persevere in your faith consistently through your life. That's a whole, that's a, that's a whole other thing. You know, there are a lot of people get into the race, but man, to finish the race well. It's one thing to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. But it's another thing to stay under that anointing, to stay under that leading of the Holy Spirit in your life. So we see perseverance in Ruth. And so here, verse 8, Boaz speaks to Ruth. Then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go glean in another field nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. It's interesting. He calls her a daughter. Now, um, there's every indication that Boaz was an older gentleman, and he's, he's speaking very politely, but he's also speaking in a relational way to Ruth. He's treating this stranger, this penniless Moabite widow, with concern for her covering, for concern for her. And that was the cultural norm. This guy is quite the gentleman. And he's putting himself in the role of a covering and protection for her. And so here's a character quality that jumps out. He genuinely cares about other people. It's a genuine concern 
for her safety, for her, for her covering, for her protection. Now, working in the field, I think for me anyways, as I was studying this, is a picture of life in the body of Christ. And what I think Boaz is saying, and there's a picture being painted here, is don't go glean in another field. Don't go from here. And, and I would say, uh, for us, the application is don't wander off from the body of Christ. Don't wander off from the local church body of Christ, the church that you're involved with. Don't wander off from it. Stay close by my young women, he said. Why? Because they provide companionship. They provide edification. That's why we're to be in, in fellowship together. That was hard last year when we had to close down. That was really, really hard. And, and you know, yeah, we could do inner. And for those of you that are watching online this morning, you know, I hope that you're getting blessed. But it's hard being out of actual interaction with one another to encourage one another. And he says, have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? Now, listen, well, as I mentioned earlier, there's, there's kind of a hint in scriptures that this guy was a warrior. He was a mighty man. And it's a, it's a military term. And, you know, in any other situation, these workers, they might have been tempted to take advantage of this. She's by herself. She's Moabite. You know, she's just they might have been tempted to take advantage. And Boaz says, not in my field. Don't touch. Don't touch her. That speaks of protection and dignity. You know, in 1 Timothy 5, Paul is talking to Timothy, and in verse 2, he really talks about how we as believers are to treat one another in the body of Christ. And regarding women, he says this. He says to treat the older women as mothers and the younger women as sisters with all purity. I mean, in the body of Christ, we need to maintain healthy boundaries healthy boundaries in our relationships, especially when we're serving alongside each other in God's, in God's field as we're, as we're ministering side by side. I know one thing that, that uh, my wife and I have kind of set up is that I'll never counsel a woman by myself. I never will. If you have issues, go to Teresa. She's tougher than me, but go to Teresa. She'll, she, she doesn't, I can be, she goes, sometimes, Don, you're such a pushover. They can, they can just walk all over you. And I'm like, yeah, I know, I know. What can I say? They, they talk nice, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Anyways, but seriously, there's a principle there. Don't, you know, and unfortunately, I, I see that with other pastors. Sometimes they, they allow themselves a little bit of, you know, it's, it, maybe it's innocent at first, but man, it can end up in a disaster. And so have healthy boundaries. And so this is, I think, what Boaz is doing. He's establishing a boundary. You guys don't touch her. I commanded you. And then he says this, and when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. Man, if you're thirsty, man, get refreshed. Get your refreshed. And this is what the local body of Christ should be. It should be a place of protection. You should feel safe in a local church. It should be a place where you're treated with dignity. You're not looked down on. You're, you're treated, because we're all the same at the foot of the cross, treated with dignity. It should be a place for companionship. Man, we should be interacting with each other. This whole men's fellowship and the floating down the river, you know, it's to encourage that companionship so that we're involved, not just here on Sundays, but we're involved in each other's lives. It should be a place where you receive edification. The word edification just means to be built up, 
be encouraged in your faith, and it should be a place of refreshing. If you leave here going, man, whew, what a drag, then, then, then we've, we've missed it. We've lost it. Man. Hopefully you are refreshed being here. Well, Ruth responds to Boaz, verse 10. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Man, what humility. She's overcome by the grace of Boaz. Verse 11, And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Man, it's been fully reported to me what you've done. Again, there's no mention of her appearance, just her character. Proverbs 31, verse 30, charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Matthew 5, 16, Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that, and I'm, this is not just for women, for all of us, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Listen, people are watching you and I. They're, they're hearing what we're saying, but they're really watching. What we, what, we, what we do is much more important than what we say. People are watching us. Ruth, like Abraham, she's like Abraham in quite a few ways. She left her homeland and her family to come to the land and to the people that God had promised to bless. She, she's like Abraham in that sense, just leaving behind everything to go to this new place. It took great faith to leave all that behind. She had an op probably had an opportunity to remarry back in Moab, but she just she forsook all that because Naomi had an impact. We talked about that last week. Naomi had an impact on her, and she wanted to, she wanted to worship the same God that Naomi worshipped, and she loved Naomi. And so she sought refuge and safety in God's wings, and God here is providing that safety and refuge through the human instrument by the name of Boaz. God's using Boaz for that. No one's going to harm her because they don't want to incur the wrath of the mighty man of great wealth, Boaz. Verse 13, then she said, Let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. It's kind of interesting if you kind of follow the progression in, in some of the things that Ruth says. In verse 2, she said, Let me go to the field. She, wanted to, she just wanted to get out and, and, and start doing, you know, working. In verse 7, she says to the uh, servant of the reapers, the, the person in charge of the reapers, please let me glean and gather. And now to the Lord of the field, she's saying, let me find favor in your sight. That's an example for you and I in the Lord's field. Lord, send me. Send me wherever you want me to, wherever you want to send me, Lord. I'm here. I'm available. Lord, let me partake in your harvest. Let me glean. Let me glean. And Lord, let me please you in all I do. Man, I, that, that should be our prayer and our attitude as believers in Christ. 
She says, you've comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. You know, the Bible says it's the goodness, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads you and I to repentance. What a picture we see here. And now there's a meal that's going to take place with the Lord of the field. Verse 14 now Boaz said to her at mealtime, Come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed parched grain to her and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. So not only did Boaz comfort Ruth, not only did he speak kindly to her, nor not only did he encourage her to be faithful, man, just stay in my field, don't go anywhere else, just stay here. Not only did she, did he do all those things, but now he's, and he's welcoming her into his field, man, just stay here, you're welcome here anytime. But he's also now inviting her to a meal, to a special meal with him. You know, it's kind of interesting 2,000, roughly, 2,000 years before this event takes place that we're reading about in Ruth chapter 2, about 2,000 years before Christ was born, I should say, a guy by the name of Melchizedek gave bread and wine to Abraham. You read that in the book of Genesis. A 1,000 years later, Boaz here is sharing a meal of bread and vinegar, which is, it's grapes made, it's like, it's a wine, uh, uh, with Ruth sharing a meal with Ruth. So 2,000 years before Christ, there's this meal that Melchizedek and Abraham are sharing together. 1,000 years later, Boaz and Ruth are sharing a meal together. 1,000 years after that, Jesus Christ is sharing a special meal with his disciples. And 2,000 years after that, 2,000 years after that, you and I are invited to share a meal with Jesus Christ this morning. In fact, we're having communion this morning. And so she ate and was satisfied and kept something some back. I love that. She had all that she could eat and she was satisfied. Whenever I think of satisfaction, I think of joy. She was satisfied. She had joy and she kept some back. Now, of course, we're talking about the grain, literally the grain, but I think there's a picture here. She's got this satisfaction and she's and she joy and she has some and now she's sharing it with someone else, with Naomi. Her joy, her satisfaction. Here's a quality, or excuse me, a character quality that jumps out. She has fullness of joy and shares it with others. Man, have you ever been around somebody that's joyful? It encourages me. I love it when people are joyful. I, it's, I've had people, I've come up to them, and you know, genuinely, we all have, we all have bad days, so I'm, I mean, we all go through trials, so don't ever feel like you can't share with me if I, once I tell you this, but I, I had this one friend, and he's a friend, I love him, but every time, hey man, how you doing? Oh, it's like Eeyore, you know? Oh man, you know, it's like something's bad today, you know, wow, you know, this happened and that. I'm like, man. I feel sad for you, man. There's no joy in your life, man. I never have, I never once had him say, man, things are awesome. God's so good. I've never heard that. God was, and again, I love him. He's a brother in law. I love him. Um, but what a cool thing to be one who shares joy with, uh, with other people around us. Well, now in verse 15, we're going to look at Boaz's generosity. 
Verse 15, and when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. Also, let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. Now, you got to think about it. Back again, in this time frame of the book of Ruth, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And what that literally means is they, didn't dis they disregarded God's word. They didn't follow God's commands. They just, I'm going to do what I want to do, kind of like today. They disregarded God's, will, God's word as revealed to them through the law. Not Boaz. Boaz not only regarded the word of God as far as allowing people to glean in his field, but you can see here that the law was written on the tablet of his heart. Providing for the poor, according to the law, wasn't a burden to Boaz. It was his delight. And rather than trying to figure out just the bare minimum of, okay, you know, God's word says I got to leave some, some sheaves, so I'll leave like 10 sheaves, okay? There's a tenth. We're going to leave a tenth right there or something. You know, that wasn't his heart at all. He was not trying to find the bare minimum. He went far above and beyond what the law required. There's a character quality that jumps out with Boaz, and that's this. He's a joyful giver. Now, I don't know where you as a New Testament Christian creature, we're all creatures, um, I don't know where you stand as far as New Testament scriptures regarding tithing and giving. You know, I, people have all different kind of opinions. Uh, sometimes the, the question is, okay, um, if tithing is meant for Christians, how much should we tithe? You know, is it what percentage? And should it be gross or should it be, you know, should it be after tax or before tax? And, you know, we get all this stuff. And kind of what that speaks of is what's the bare minimum? What's the minimum I got to pay to make keep God and everybody happy, you know? Um, man, would that we had a heart like Boaz. You know, Boaz's heart, man, it's actually, it's not even the heart of Boaz, although it is. It's the heart of the kin, our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. He didn't, he didn't like, okay, all right, I'm going to have to die on the cross. And can I just, you know, is there some way I can just, you know, just barely kind of maybe pretend like I died or something like that? Yeah, no, no, he gave himself completely. Didn't hold back anything for you and I. He joyfully gave of himself to redeem us. And that, you know, the Lord desires you and I to have that same heart to be joyful in our giving, to be joyful and liberal because that's the heart of the Lord. That's who he is. And he wants us to be like him. So now we look at Ruth's harvest there, verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. Then she took it up and went into the city and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. She did a full day's work from morning until evening. It sounds like she took maybe a little short break there because she had a lunch break, obviously. Um, but man, she was working the entire time. And not only did she glean, which is basically picking up that stuff, she's also threshed all those sheaves, the stocks by hand beating him by that so it's hard work it's not easy work and she gathered an ephah which is from what i understand it's roughly equivalent to filling about six gallon jugs of barley so if you can picture that 
Verse 19, and her mother-in-law said to her, where have you gleaned today and where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, blessed be the Lord, uh, blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, this man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. I want to just draw your attention to the question that she asked Ruth. Where have you gleaned today? There's so, there's so much we can pull out of this. First of all, where have you gleaned today? Today, You know, maybe you have in the back of your mind, you know, when I retire or at some point or maybe next week I'm going to do this, I'm going to serve in some capacity or something. The question is, what are you doing today? What are you doing today? Jesus told his disciples, do not say there are still four, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest. And you look in our culture today, and it's ripe for harvest. Man, people are so despairing about what's going on in this world around us. We have opportunities like nothing before. So where have you gleaned today? And then the next question or the next focus is, where have you gleaned today? See, sometimes it's tempting to sit back and let others do all the work. But what about you? Where are you serving the Lord? And then the next focus is where have you gleaned today? You know, have you found your special place in the Lord's field? Have you, have you, are you employing the gifts and the talents that the Lord has given you? Are you, are you using them in whatever? Because we all have different gifts and different ways to serve the Lord. Where are you serving the Lord? And then where have you gleaned today? Gleaning. I look at that as serving, working, laboring. It might be planting, might be harvesting. Uh, it may be watering, encouraging someone, accompanying someone, blessing someone. You know what I've noticed, though? If a person isn't doing any of those things, instead of being a gleaner, you know what they end up being? A grumbler. Really, I've seen it. It's tempting. It's e t very easy if you're not gleaning, if you're not serving, if you're not ministering to fall into complaining, grumbling and complaining. So the question for all of us, are you a gleaner in the body of Christ or are you a grumbler about the body of Christ? Verse 20, then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, this man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. That's the kinsman redeemer that we're going to look at in greater detail as we continue through the book of Ruth. Now, a couple things I want to draw your attention to just before we close here. Do you remember back in chapter one, what was Naomi's attitude? Man, one of the last, one of the last things she says in chapter one, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. That's, that's where we left Naomi in chapter one. And at the end of chapter two, blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. 
What a transformation. God used Ruth to turn Naomi's bitterness into gratitude, her despair into hope. That's one person trusting the Lord, seeking the Lord in his righteousness, laying aside their own comfort to minister and to serve to others. That one person changed the heart and the attitude of another downtrodden saint. We all have that opportunity to do that in the body of Christ. Verse 21, Ruth the Moabitess said, He also said to me, You shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with, this young, with his young women and that people do not meet you in any other field. And I think what he, she's saying is, Man, after all that kindness and goodness, man, it would be bad to go to another guy's field. Do what he says, man. Stay in, stay in that field. It's good for you to stay close there and stay in his field alone. Stay close for you and I. I think the word for us is to stay close to our kinsman redeemer also. Because if you and I do, we'll see the fruit that we'll, we'll talk about in chapter 3. Verse 23, so she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And she dealt and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. Some of us have to deal with our mother-in-law. She dwelt with her mother-in-law. <laughs> Sorry, bad joke. <laughs> Uh, all right. Hey, this morning, we have been invited to a meal as well. And if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if he's your Lord and Savior, man, you are invited to a meal with us this morning. Yeah, your worship team, come on up.